Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. We're starting a new series today called Culture. Somebody say culture. Culture. We're talking about Prevail Church and the church culture. And so now... I will tell you this, it is, it is very tricky sometimes to start talking about this stuff because when you hear the word culture and you talk about church culture and you talk about organizational culture, you start thinking corporate and you start thinking, oh my God, rules, regulation. Um, if you've been around enough of major corporations, you start thinking, you know, corporate politics and all of that, okay? You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and usually culture ends up talking about cliques and, and, oh, we do it this way, we don't do it that way, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, while Prevail is unique in its approach to a lot of things, um, I, will, I want to start off by saying this is a church that we're learning, amen? We're not ever going to take a position or stand on a policy or anything where we say we're right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, It's just not going to happen. I grew up in church like that, actually. Uh, I grew up believing that that everybody that went to the church I went to and was a part of the church organization I was in was going to heaven and everybody who wasn't was going to hell. Okay, I'll let that sit with y'all, okay? All right. So if you wasn't part, uh, and I'm not going to say the church name, but if you wasn't part of it, you weren't getting correct Bible teaching, you were going to hell with gasoline underwear. Amen. Hallelujah. It's going to burst in flames. And that is what I grew up believing. That's what I grew up believing. And so I grew up very, very cautious of what I said, who I said it to, who I hung around, what music I listened to. You know what I mean? Anybody ever attended a worldly music burning? No. Worldly music burning. Y'all never, y'all know nothing about that. A secular music burning. Anybody ever attend that where you take your tapes? All these young people don't know what a tape is. Come on, somebody. It's a cassette tape. It's a little thing you used to pop in, and you had to hit play, and then it would spin this little thing, right? And when you got mad at somebody and you really wanted to hurt their feelings, you would take the tape and just rip all the stuff out. Eight track, come on. I never got to really experience eight tracks. My, my grandma and all them had a car like, with eight track and all that stuff. And so we got to play with some of that stuff growing up. But, you know, it wasn't like it was on the way out, like, like CDs or MP3. <laughs> well, MP3's on the way out now, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, it was on the way out. And so we had cassette tapes and then we had CDs. And when I got CDs, I just thought the world was, come on somebody. Anybody used to make mixtapes? Your, 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 uh, she don't like to be called first lady, but Pastor Erin was the mixtape queen, okay? She was on staff for everybody. They, oh, oh, I wish I could just let y'all hear some of this stuff. This is Aaron Johnson. No. Anyways, we're talking about culture, and we, we, we're not going. I just want to, you know, like preface this with this church is ever growing, ever changing. 
And this is where we are today. This is the language I want to use to express where we are today. Some of this is just not changeable. Like what we talk about today, I'm going to tell you right now. You can talk to me until I'm blue in the face. But I will defend this position no matter what. Okay? And, uh, and you'll see why when I get there, okay? Because there are things that are on the fringes that I'm just not willing to go back and forth with people on about. Like, there's no point in having conversations about how long somebody's hair should be, amen? Speaking of hair, in case y'all were wondering. There's no conversation. Like, I'm not going to sit down and have a full-on conversation. With, oh, well, you know, people in your church should do this, and they should do that, and they should. Some, some things we're just not going to argue about. Amen? Amen? Are we cool with that? But I do want to spend a few weeks, preferably seven. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, we're going to try to go through this. Because this really speaks to the culture and the family of our church, amen? And, and as I begin to look at the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, I feel like this would be a great fit for what God wants to say to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. pray that you speak to me in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It's going to be on the screen if you need to read it. 13.1 says this, Dear friends, let me give you clearly, listen now, let me give you, this is Paul, by the way, for all the people who love Paul more than Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is Paul, by the way. Dear friends, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel that I preach to you, the good news that you have heartily received and on which you stand. For it is through the revelation of the gospel that you are being what? If you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, unless you believed in vain. It is through the revelation of the gospel you're being saved. It is, it is through the revelation of the what? Gospel. You are being saved. Come on. It is not through your works. It is not through... How many people you didn't cuss out this week? <laughs> it's the revelation of the gospel that you are being saved. And if you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, unless you believed in vain. For I have shared with you what I have received and what is of the, what is of utmost importance. Can I read that one more time? I have shared with you what I have received. This is what Paul said, what I have received. And what is of utmost important. Everything else is important, but this is the most important. Utmost. Come on, somebody, somebody say utmost. This is what he said. This is what he's saying the, is, more, is the utmost important. The Messiah died for our sins. Fulfilling the prophecies of the scripture. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days, as foretold in scripture. Then he appeared to, appeared to Peter, the rock, 
and to the 12 uh, apostles. He also appeared to five, more than 500 of his followers at the same time. Now, for some of us, we only knew about him appearing to the apostles, but it said he appeared to more than 500. Why is that important? Why is it important that he appeared to them? It was important because it's not a fairy tale. There is literal verified accounts that Jesus died and he raised. Are you catching this? If he would have died and just died, he would be like everybody else. He's Lord because he got up. Amen. Let me say it again. He ain't Lord because he just died. He's Lord because he died and he got up. Amen. Amen. And then he appeared to more than 500 followers of his at the same time. Most of whom, this is Paul talking about, he said, most of whom who are still alive as I write this. Paul like, if you need evidence, go find them. They're still alive. They can tell you that Jesus appeared. Though a few have passed away. Then he appeared to Jacob and to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared in front of me. Like one born prematurely ripped from the womb. Yes, I am the most insignificant of all the apostles. Unworthy even to be called an apostle. This is Paul talking about himself. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I have hunted down believers and persecuted God's church. But God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's. For his empowering grace is poured out upon me. So this is what we all have, this is what we all have taught you. And whether it was through me or someone else, you have now believed the gospel. Somebody said, believe the gospel. My message this morning is to preach this message that I have titled, Point to Jesus. Somebody say, Point to Jesus. Say this with me. This is, this is one of our church values. This is the first one. I want you to catch this. I want you to catch the excellence of this, okay? Say this with me. Say, Point to Jesus. Say, We champion the gospel. Everything points to the love and grace that Jesus bleeds. We champion the gospel. Everything points to the love and grace that Jesus bleeds. Amen? The word gospel literally means good news. It occurs 93 times in the Bible. Somebody say 93 times exclusively in the New Testament. Amen. I don't know if you know, the Old Testament was not that good of news. <laughs> Amen. But exclusively, 93 times in the New Testament, not even found in the Old Testament, the gospel, the good news is referred to. Amen. The gospel is, broadly speaking, the whole of Scripture. More narrowly, the gospel is the 
the accounts or the good news concerning Christ and the way of salvation. Now, we have to understand the key to understanding why it is good news is because we start with bad news. You ever had those friends come to you and say, you want the good news first or the bad news? Come on, somebody. Somebody say, good news or bad news? I'm usually like, can you give me good news and better news? Come on. <laughs> we have to start with the bad news. The bad news is the Old Testament law was given to Israel during the time of Moses. It was found in Deuteronomy 5 and 1. The law which was given, it can also be thought of as a measuring stick. Are y'all catching this? It's a measuring stick. And this measuring stick conveyed the idea or the belief to people, to the people who held to the law. First of all, which was supposed to be Ten Commandments, ended up being, what, 633 or something? Because, you know, as mankind... We, we always need more rules to fill more cup. Come on, somebody. Uh, it was like a measuring stick, and, and it conveyed this, this belief system that, that sin is anything that falls short of perfect according to the standard of the law. The righteous requirement of the law was so stringent that no human being could possibly follow it perfectly. In letter or in spirit. Think about this. Despite our goodness or our badness, relative to each other, we are all in the same spiritual boat. We have sinned, and the punishment for sin is death, or separation from God, or the source of life. And this is what the law conveyed, this is what it communicated. And in order for us to go to heaven, somebody say in order for us to go to heaven, we had to, uh, we had to keep the law or somehow God needed to remove our sin from us. Now one good thing about the, the law that, that I will say is it did establish this fact that true cleansing, somebody say true cleansing, somebody say true cleansing, Y'all got to talk to me this morning. I know it's just a handful of y'all, but y'all can talk louder than that. Come on now. True cleansing. Establish the fact that true cleansing can only, true cleansing from sin can only happen through the bloody sacrifice of an innocent life. So the bad news was that here's the standard from God that we all believed. Come on, somebody. Here's a standard from a God who supposedly loves you, wants the best for you, but he's going to give you a standard that you can never reach. Not only will he give you the standard you'll never reach, but he'll require that you get it, and if you don't, you're going to hell. That was the teaching of the law. So to understand the good news, we have to talk about the bad news. And we talk about the bad news. The bad news was just bad news. Somebody say bad news. We could not keep the law. 
we still can't keep the law. It's not possible to keep the law. I have had people say to me, well, you can keep the law. And I go, well, I should take you in the street and stone you for your polyester shirt. Come on, somebody. With your mixed cotton blade. Come on, somebody. If you got on mixed cotton, I'm going to stone you. Amen. I would have been straight up like Paul. Me and Paul would be best friends. Paul, you see him? <laughs> Sorry, never mind. Never mind. So the gospel involves Jesus' death on the cross as sin offering to fulfill the law's requirements, the righteous requirement. Under the law, animal sacrifices were offered every year, year after year, and these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices that were offered every year, which were supposed to be sacrifices to God, were actually a reminder of sin. It kept people trapped. The Bible goes on to communicate that, that the law actually empowered sin. It gave sin power. It gave sin more power to work and operate in our life. Because listen, this is how the law works. The law reminds you that you're not good enough. It'll tell you over and over that you're not good enough, and then you will keep going after that same, well, I don't, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. And, you, and you'll believe this lie in your head because you keep trying to live to a standard that God never gave to you. And a lot of times, and maybe you don't do this, but a lot of times when you get to a certain point where you don't feel like you can accomplish what it is set out in front of you, you just give up. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just done. I just, I just wash my hands of it. I'm tired of having the same conversation. I'm tired of this. And then you give up and you don't believe in the empowering grace that comes from Jesus. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to see how much, how much longer I can sit down because I don't think I'm going to sit down much longer. As, so there was, you know, they gave out animal sacrifices year after year, and it was a reminder of sin. And uh, but it was also a symbol of the coming sacrifice of Christ. When Christ offered Himself at Calvary, that symbol became a reality for who all who would believe. Somebody say all. And the work of atonement is now finished, and that is the good news. That is the good news. The good news is that on the cross, Jesus finished the work. And all the requirements for the law, the righteous requirements of the law were met through Jesus. Who then turns around and offers his life to us. A lot of times we like to say this, listen, we like to say this in church a lot. Catch this now. Because cause I grew up saying this a lot, and now I say it differently. We used to, you know, I used to say all the time, well, Jesus died for us. Somebody said, died for us. But truthfully, when you read the Bible and study the scripture, Jesus died as us. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. The Bible says you, you are one with him. We are in union with Christ. If he lives on the earth and we have the indwelling of, of Jesus on the inside, come on somebody, he took our place on the cross. He died as us. Wow. Not just for you. Wow. He became righteousness because we couldn't be righteous. 
everything that listen, he became us. The Bible says that he was the, 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 the representation of the whole. He was Jesus. He died on the cross. As us. Must say as us. The elements of the gospel are clearly stated in this passage that we read today. The passage concerning the good news, Paul says, you know, for what I receive, I passed on to you as, as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Yeah, he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to all these people. I want you to notice at first that Paul received the gospel and then he passed it on. Somebody say received? Passed on. This is a divine message, not a man-made message. Secondly, I want you to notice that the gospel is of first importance. Somebody say first importance. Okay, y'all didn't say that like you believe that. First importance. See, we get hung up on a lot of different things. But the gospel is of first importance. Leads to my first point. My first point is we champion the gospel. Somebody say champion. The gospel. I want you to hear me, hear me clearly because I'm talking about church, prevail church culture. And, and here at Prevail, we champion the gospel. The word champion means to support the cause of or defend. I want you to hear something, hear me very clearly. I will go down tooth and nail, clawing and fighting and punching, kicking and screaming and everything I can to defend the gospel. The true gospel. Okay, all right, all right. So, so there are a lot of times, and you guys don't, y'all don't get to see this part because I, because I don't talk about it a lot. But there are a lot of times when people get on my, you know, they get in my inbox and they got something to say. Oh, you know, you preach that grace and you do this, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, it'll show up in my face. I won't have that much grace, ain't hey, Bart, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes I want to respond to people and say, try Jesus, don't try me, because I throw hands. Amen? Come on, somebody. But I will defend the gospel. I've had people say, why are you letting such and such be at your church? Why would I not let them be at my church? Are you hearing me? Why is this person involved in this? would they not be involved? The gospel tells us that all people are welcome at the foot of the cross. That the work of cross was for everybody. Somebody say everybody. Somebody say everybody. And so people get mad because I will defend the gospel. I will preach heavy the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, the gospel of the finished work of the cross. Come on, somebody. And listen, I will go hand in hand with anybody who talks about the law. 
And I have learned in my time as a pastor that everybody that comes through this door ain't going to agree. There are some people who are so trapped in the the binds of religion, they'll never see the light of day outside of that. There's so many people in the world. And listen, and listen, I, I'm not saying that, that God can't do a work and can't do a miracle and can't do this, but there are a lot of people who are trapped so far in religious practices, religious ordinance, who are so far down that road, they need, listen, they need affirmation from the law. And when I look at them and say, you are righteous, they will tell me, oh, no, I'm not. You know what I did yesterday? I am not righteous. And I will say, it ain't about what you did, it's about who you are. Because the cross is not about a work, it's not about your actions, it was about changing your identity. Christ didn't die so we could do better. He died so we could become sons and daughters of the king. He wanted to make our identities right. Somebody say our identities. And a lot of us get so wrapped up in our actions. Listen, listen, now listen. Once you understand who you are, you will change what you do. But what, what we do here is I'm not forcing you to change what you do. Oh, okay, all right. So I just threw some folks off. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you going to affirm sin? No, I'm affirming righteousness. I'm affirming identity because I want people to know who they are. And I want the work of God, the Christ in them, the indwelling Christ in them to begin to work and change their life. If I get a whole bunch of people in here doing right and they don't know Jesus, guess what? We all still going to go to hell. Okay, all right, all right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We all still going to struggle and not know who God is, amen? We ain't going to live our best life and we all going to be stuck at the foot of the law. Man, when you begin to tell people who they are in Christ, it begins to radically shift everything in their life. They begin to see things like never before. They begin to understand the word of God, the gospel like never before. And we champion the gospel. Somebody say we champion the gospel. Champion the gospel. Romans 1 16 says this I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first the Jew then to the Gentile the gospel is a bold message and we are not ashamed of proclaiming it it is a powerful message because it is God's good news somebody say good news saving message it's the only thing that can truly reform the human heart it's a universal message for Jews and Gentiles, both. And the gospel is received by faith. Salvation is the gift of God. 
Salvation is not the work. It's not results of work. The gift offered freely. Somebody say offered freely. Gospel is the good news is that uh, the gospel is the good news is that God loves the world, loved the world, loves the world, still loves the world enough that he gave his only son to die for our sins. The gospel is good news because our salvation and eternal life and home in heaven are guaranteed through Christ. Not works, Christ. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or trade, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Jesus secured our salvation. He secured our inheritance. He secured our identity. He secured our righteousness. It all came through him. Not through our works. And I don't care how good you think you are. Your righteousness, your salvation, all has been secured in Jesus Christ. I don't care how bad you think you are. If you believe in Christ and the work of the cross, your righteousness, your life, your hope, all of it has been secured in Christ. Somebody say in Christ. Some of y'all looking at me like, man, I know this stuff. See, the good news, the gospel is good news that uh, uh, is, is when we understand that we cannot, we do not, and we cannot earn our salvation. Somebody say earn it. The work of redemption and justification is complete. Having been finished on the cross. Jesus was the appropriation for our sins. Jesus died as us. He was the appropriation for our sin, right? The gospel is the good news that we, who were once enemies of God, have been reconciled by the blood of Christ and adopted into the family of, of, of God, which means there's no more distance. You are not separated from Christ, and you cannot be separated from Christ. And the lie of the enemy is that, well, sin separates me from Christ. No, it doesn't. You were bought by the blood, paid for completely. Come on, somebody. You can't be separated from him. My child may act up, but guess what? He will always be my child. Mm-hmm. He might get on my nerves tomorrow, but guess what? I ain't going to be like, you ain't my child today. I don't know who child you is. You better go figure that out. His identity is my child. Whether he does what I like, whether I like what he's doing or I don't like what he's doing, he has been identified as the son of Frederick Giles. <laughs> oh, I wish we would cast that revelation because you have been identified as the son and daughter of Jesus Christ, of, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Most High. The, come on, somebody. And no matter. Listen, I know people get so messed up when I say no matter what you do, you will not change the identity. I want you to hear me and I want to say it with boldness and confidence and I want to say it for all the people who are going to hate in about five minutes. No matter what you do, 
It doesn't change your identity. Amen. Amen. Some of us have grown up in churches that taught us so many lies and messed us up. And we're so hard on ourselves and we kick ourselves and beat ourselves up every time, every single day. We can't let the fulfilling uh, redemption of the grace that God has offered and the mercy that he's offered flow through our body. Listen, we can't even get to who we are in Christ because we're so wrapped up in what we do and don't do. Until we let grace flood those areas, man, we will not really understand the true work of the cross. I want you to hear me. I, I Listen, I'm telling you something. You, those things won't become a problem. They will no longer be a problem once you recognize that you are God's. You belong to the Lord. And we're hard on ourselves because... We believe in a gospel that tells us we have to do right, not be right. Oh, I know I'm going to get some feedback for this one. That's all right. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. I will defend my position. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> My position is that you are righteous, completely righteous, made completely righteous by Jesus Christ. Find me a scripture that tells me that we are not. I'll change my mind, but you won't. Come on, somebody. Should have tied to this message. Change my mind. Next point is this. Everything points to the love of Jesus. Somebody say everything. everything. Points to the love of Jesus. Listen, listen. So in society, we, we, whenever we hear, oh, Jesus loves people. I, can, I, can I just say this? It's so easy and so quick for us to hear something like, well, Jesus loves everybody. And we'll argue that. Because we made love weak. Okay. All right. So we'll argue this because we view love through society's standard of love. Where everybody says, I love you, they may not mean it. Catch that? Well, you know, and so when you view love through the lens of what society has called love, love is fickle. It's up and down. I might love you today. I may not love you tomorrow. Come on, somebody. But when you view love as biblical love, as the Bible teaches that God loves, he calls it unconditional. There's four types of loves that the Bible talks about. Four types of love. Somebody say four types. There's eros. That's your, you know, if you're married, you know what eros is. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Eros love is why some of y'all are here. Amen. <laughs> well, we got little kids running around. Come on, somebody. Uh, they're the other two. I, I don't remember the other two right now. I, I can't remember the other two. <laughs> but the one I want to talk about is agape. Because agape love is the love that God uses to refer 
to us when he says, I love you unconditionally. Somebody say agape love. So the difference between man's and society's standard of love and God's standard of love is we don't, in most of society, we don't, we don't do agape love. Come on, somebody, right? Come on, listen. A simple way to summarize, uh, summarize agape love, uh, agape is that it's God's perfect, unconditional love. Jesus lived out agape love by sacrificing himself on the cross for the sins of the world. Okay? When we say I love you, we don't typically mean I'll go down the cross for you. Are you hearing me? When we say I love you, we don't typically mean I'll jump out in front of a car to make sure you don't get hit, so I'll get hit for you. I'll put my life on the line for you, right? Are y'all hearing me? So then when you hear people in church say something like, well, you need to love everybody, you're not thinking about God's agape love. You're thinking about the I won't jump in front of traffic for you kind of love. But God is the God who says, I will jump in front of traffic for you no matter what's going on. I love you unconditionally. I will, I will die on the cross for you. I love you unconditionally. My love is perfect. There is no, no conditions to my love. Are you hearing me? Agape love is more than an emotion. Agape love is more than emotion. It's a sentiment that, did, that, that demonstrates itself through action. God is not just the God that says, I love you. He's the God that says, I love you, and I'm going to show you. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Agape is a term that defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for, for humankind. It is his ongoing, outgoing, self-sacrificing concern for lost and fallen people. God gives this love without condition. It's without condition and it's un uh, unable to be reversed to those who are undeserving and inferior to himself. God, it's, it's, he, he literally is this, the Bible says that he is love. Somebody say love. He is agape love. He is unconditional love. He is this. This is what God is. He is love that is action. He is love that is uh, uh, unconditional. He is love that, that, listen, that we receive that we don't deserve, but he has made it where it can't be returned. It is given without condition. I love this quote by Anders Nagrin. He says this agape love is unmotivated in the sense that it's not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. <laughs> Jesus told his followers this, though. He said, uh, Love one another in the same sacrificial way that I have loved you. Oh, okay. Okay. 
And he said this command was new because it demanded a new kind of love from his followers. He called it new. The command was new because it demanded a new kind of love, a love like his own, agape love. What would be the outcome of this love? People would be able to recognize them as Jesus' disciples because of their mutual love for one another. And while we will argue to death with people, oh, well, love involves correction. Love involves, that's because you have a narrow view of God's love. Because our form of correction is still a condition. And God says it's without condition. I don't love you to correct you. I love you so you know that I love you. That's all it means. That's all it's there. Oh, 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 oh. The Apostle Paul, since, you know, for all my people who love Paul more than Jesus, the Apostle Paul has ordered the Corinthians to remember the importance of love. He used the term agape six times in his famous love chapter. Paul wanted believers to show love in everything they did. Somebody said everything. The apostle exalted love as the highest standard. Love for God and other people was to motivate everything they did. Are y'all hearing this? I hope you, uh, listen, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. The culture of, of prevail is that everything we do was for people to understand, is for people to know that they are loved by God. They are loved by a God who loves them unconditionally, who has not given them, listen, he has given them and offered them love, eternal life, salvation, all of it without conditions. So I say it this way, before you even come and believe here, you can belong here. You can find home at this place before you even have the opportunity to really unpack what it means to know who Christ is. Come on, somebody, because I want you to understand you are already loved unconditionally. And we'll work on the tenets of, of, of the gospel and understanding theology and all that stuff as time goes along. But before you even get there, just come on in here and know that you are loved unconditionally by the Lord. Paul taught believers to infuse their interpersonal relationships in the church with agape love so as to bind themselves all together in perfect harmony. The Galatians, he said, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I want you, did you catch what Paul just did? Paul didn't even spend a whole bunch of time on sinful nature. 
He said, guys, you are free. You are free. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the things that you might want to do. Use that freedom to serve one another in love. Agape love is not nearly an attribute of God. It is his essence. God is fundamentally love. He alone loves in the completeness and perfection of love. Okay? I'm going to read this, 1 John 4, 8 through 10. It says this, listen now. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Anybody who does not know God, who does not love, does not know God. Fundamentally, you cannot say you love God and hate people. But anyone who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to sacrifice to take away our sins. While we were enemies with God, he loved us. Is this good, y'all? Is this good? Next thing is this. My last point. Everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Say it like Oprah. Everything. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> y'all like, no, I ain't saying it like that. Everything points to the grace of Jesus. Somebody say grace, grace. of Jesus. The gospel is not about a law you must keep. It is not about a law that you must keep. The gospel is not about a law that you must keep. The gospel is not about a law that you must keep. The gospel is not about a work that you must do. The gospel is not about a law that you must keep. I'm going to say it again. The gospel is not about a law that you must keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. It's about receiving a love that will keep you. It's about receiving a grace that will keep you. It's about receiving, come on somebody. Not a law that you must keep, but it's about receiving the one who will keep you. It's not about uh, 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 living this life out in fear. It's about living this life out in faith. It's not about rules. It's about relationship with the Father. This is what the gospel is about. It's grace. It points to grace. Everything about it is grace. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus is simply this. Repent. Somebody say repent. 
For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is it, like this. It's one. This is what uh, Lynn Howe says in his book. The kingdom of God is, uh, in, in the, the name of the book is uh, uh, Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Okay, listen. He says this in this book. The kingdom of God is one paradigm shift away. He goes on to say, one of the meanings of the word repent is to change your mind. It also means to change one bent or to turn about. Many times, listen to this, he says, we preach repentance. When we preach repentance, we preach what we turn from, but we never preach what we are turning towards. And so what we do is perpetuate the idea and the teaching of the law that you must turn away. You must turn away. You must turn away. But the gospel and the finished work of the cross is not just about what you turn away from. It's about what you turn to. It's not grace is not just about saving you from your sins. It's about empowering you to what God wants to do through you. Hmm. Some of us get so wrapped up in our past that we can't get past what we did and who we messed up and how we hurt this person, and how we hurt that person, how we hurt. The devil's a liar. Listen, I want you to hear something. You have been forgiven of your past. Your past is over. The, you are no longer who the world says you are. You are no longer what they called you. You are no longer that. You are God's, and God has a plan for you. Many times when we preach repentance, we preach what we turn from, but never emphasize what we turn towards. And what happens is many have turned from law and religion only to turn to the bondage of sin. Or they have returned from the bondage of sin only to trade it for the bondage of religion. And the gospel, the gospel tells us the gospel is not just about a ticket to heaven someday. When you only view the work of the cross as a ticket to get you somewhere, you live your mind with with the thought that you're going to escape this world some way, somehow. By and by, when the morning comes, all the saints, you know the mind. Y'all know that song. Y'all too young for that song. I used to grow up, I grew up singing the song, uh, uh, Some, uh, uh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. When this life is over, I'll fly away. And you're like, God, just get me through this misery of life. And I'm just going to hold on till you come get me, Jesus. And Jesus like, I ain't coming to get you. I'm trying to come through you so we can change the world around you. I don't want to take you out. I want to use you to go in. Come on, somebody. I want you to be a light in darkness. I want you to be a city set on a hill. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to remove you. I'm trying to use you to... Mm. We're so, we're so wrapped in escapism. We want to get out of this world. Get out of our misery. And your misery is just wrapped up in the stuff that you don't like. Maybe have the faith to leave the job if you don't like the job. 
Oh, okay. All right. All right. Oh, Jesus. It's not about a ticket to heaven someday. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit that will allow you to live the abundant life. You Listen, to live the abundant life that Christ offers as a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. The promises of God are yes and amen. Somebody say right now. It's not about a someday, and some of us have been living in a someday faith, and God is saying, no, I have a right now moment for you. I'm not trying to get you to someday. I want you to get to right now. I don't want to live my life banking on someday. Someday I'm going to see God's glory. Someday this is going to happen. The devil is a liar. And you can get trapped in someday and never realize that God is saying right now. Damn. You know one of the things I used to be frustrated about when I was growing up in church? I went to a great church. Now listen, I'm, it was a dynamic church. It was one of the most, you know, great. Like they... The environment was electric. They were, ah, you know, shouting. But the preacher would always preach. And I love him to death. Listen, now, he's a great guy. I'm not talking about him, but he would preach. And he would say, you got potential, you got potential, you got potential. And I would tell people this all the time. I got so frustrated thinking about my potential, not realizing. And, I, you know, the question I always ask is, when am I going to do it? You keep telling me I got potential, but when? Oh, God, so I'm just a guy that's just living, following God, and he's telling me who I am, but he ain't actually inviting me to do anything about it. Or when I go to attempt it, there's so much red tape. Come on, somebody. Because, listen, I believe that I was called to pastor and lead a church and do all this stuff. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my potential. And then they're like, well, you know, that's your potential, but make sure you know you're 25 miles away from this church, and you're not this and that. What? What if you just believe God? What if you did what he said to do right now? Amen. It ain't always going to be peachy and creamy, but God is still God and God is still good. And he is faithful. And you got to learn him how to trust in the ups and downs of life. Amen. Not about a ticket to heaven someday. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit that allow you to live abundant life as a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. The message that John the Baptist was declaring was that another form of government called the kingdom, it was coming on the scene and will replace the government of the law. The message Bible in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 calls the old covenant the government of death and condemnation. It was constituted, it was a constitution chiseled on stone tablets. Death and condemnation. That's what the law produced in us. Death, condemnation. And empowered sin. Chiseled on stone tablets. But the new covenant is the constitution of the kingdom and it is the government of affirmation. 
and it's written on the fleshly tablets of our hearts. It is the government of the living spirit. When our hearts turn towards the Lord, you see, we talk about what we turn from. We need to turn to the Lord. When our hearts turn from the Lord, the veil will be taken away and we will make the paradigm shift from law to grace. Everything points to the grace of Jesus. So we point to Jesus. People say, you know, what about all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament? So I've been reading this book called Cross Vision. And the writer says this. As gruesome as it is, we can't, we have to make it point to Jesus somehow. And most of the stuff that we see in the Old Testament points to Jesus doesn't shed a good light on the, the, right, the writing of the scripture. It shows the inconsistency of mankind. It reveals a God who will let himself be misrepresented. By people who believe they were doing the work of God. Slaying villages and killing women and children and doing all kinds of stuff. In the name of the Lord. But it shows a merciful, graceful God who will allow himself to be misrepresented. And what does that look like? It's got to point to Jesus. All the scripture, all the things we do, every book. Listen, listen. I know y'all gonna say, "Oh, this sounds crazy." If it ain't pointing you to the love and grace that Jesus bleeds, to the work of the the, the, the finished work of the cross, if it's not pointing you to that, it's not worth your time. Well, I'm just reading this book. Is it going to make you more sin conscious or Christ conscious? Is it going to make you more law conscious or grace conscious? Well, this person on social media said this. Well, do you feel like after you read it that you got to go work and keep a, a law? Or do you feel the empowering grace of God? I love y'all. Listen, I have unfollowed so many people, and I love them to death, and they're some great people, and they, they, they post some good stuff sometimes, and then I see something, I'm like, man, the last four or five of your posts have been nothing but law-conscious content. And when I look at it, I feel not enough, incomplete, and I can't let that in my life. I already got a voice in my head already fighting me on a daily basis telling me I'm not good enough. I don't need you to tell me. I don't need your content to tell me. And I don't have to follow it. Amen? 
But as far as prevail goes, I'm going to say this to y'all, okay? I love you. May we, we have a work ahead of us that I believe God's going to do through this church. He's going to send the broken, the misfits, the people who don't even want to be at church. We got to be a representation of Christ. Let me let me let me let me say it this way, because because they even sound like work base. We got to be a representation of Christ. No, we got to be Christ. We're not a representation. We are part of the family of God. <laughs> when people see you, they see God. Hello. They knew they, they were followers of Jesus by how they loved one another. Amen? And that's the God we serve. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. We would know you. How that we live our life that everything would point to you. You are God. You love us unconditionally. We are no longer a slave to the law. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer trapped in the bounds of religion. We're free to live our life in relationship with you. And I pray for everyone in this room that we have the courage to step out of those bounds. Lord, whether it's friends or family members or whoever that puts us at odds and keeps roping us back into that old mindset, that old covenant relationship with God, I thank you, God, that we have the courage to break free from those chains. We go after you. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.